Welcome to the Ariaka Dreamers and Doers podcast series. Within the series, we invite thought leaders from all over the globe to engage in candid and thoughtful conversations. By the way, I'm Craig Patterson, your host, channel chief here at Ariaka, and head of sales. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. She's a multiple award-winning tech disruptor and influencer. She's the founder of the Tech World's Half, which is dedicated to the advancement of women in technology. She's a former executive from Verizon, and she's now the founder and CEO of the JS Group. It's my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce you, Janet Shines. All right, Janet, thank you so much for joining me today on the Ariaka Dreamers Endures podcast. By the way, it's really hard, Janet, to fit everything in. You've done a ton in terms of your accomplishments, your awards, your recognition, your leadership, your expertise. You're amazing. Thank you. It's hard to jam all that into an intro. No need. Do you mind spending a minute talking a little bit about yourself? You know, really share with us what you're dreaming about and share with us what you're doing to save the channel, what you're very passionate about. I am very passionate about Save the Channel. And everybody always asks me why Save the Channel. And it's because, you know, depending on what boardroom you're in, the conversation always comes up that maybe some technology company should cut out the channel or lessen what they pay the channel or do something like that. So that's why Save the Channel is our three-word mission statement at JS Group. And I, I lead the JS Group. I was the channel chief at uh, at Verizon, at Motorola, an EVP at Office Depot. And like you mentioned, the industry has been so kind to me and given me all kinds of great awards. But the thing I'm most proud of in the industry is just myself and my team's work to make sure that the channel remains the lifeblood of the technology go-to-market. That, that truly is what's important to us is that we're always looking for ways. And by the way, lots of new entrants in the channel. I'm sure we'll talk about that today. A lot of change happening in the channel. But it is always my dream, my desire that we be primarily sold through an indirect channel partnership ecosystem, whatever you want to call it today. That's my dream. That's what I think of how technology works best for end user customers and how we continue to make the rapid advancements the industry's made in the last few years. I love that. Thanks for sharing. And um, I love the hashtag, save the channel. I think the whole channel organization would give you a huge high five for all the work you're doing out there. So Thanks. thank you for that. So obviously I'm biased, right? I've been in the channel 20 plus years. I love the channel strategy. I love the people in the channel. And we here at Ariaka, we believe the channel is the premier preferred route to market, right? In terms of how companies really want to buy today. Now, talk to me about your thoughts around the evolution of the enterprise market embracing the channel. Are you seeing more and more companies work through a channel partner? And then one myth that I continue to hear is that the channel is more transactional in nature. They're not really positioning in larger accounts, more complex solutions. Give me your thoughts around the trends and also the types of customers that are embracing the channel. You know, I'm going to start. It's so funny. I'm going to start with that transactional comment. So there are channels that are transactional. And if the job you have to be done by the channel is transactional, those are still very valid channels. Hardware, we think about some of the things where people need what they need, maybe in their local community and small businesses. You don't want 
as a big vendor, you don't want to have to service them. So when people say transactional, like it's a dirty word, it's not because many times that transactional channel also now includes marketplaces, which many large enterprise procurement groups are saying you have to have your solution in a marketplace, which is also a channel. But the trend we're seeing is more and more companies using channels and more and more partners being involved in enterprise, government, even mid-market deals. And so in the old days, you had kind of one partner would lead the deal almost like a general contractor when solutions were simpler. When networks were networks and there wasn't software-defined everything, it was a little easier. Now, there's multiple experts many times in the same deal. And many of them are influencers or non-transacting partners. And we're starting to see more and more of this where a partner may be in the deal and not be someone who's transacting, just by the term transactional, non-transacting partner. Maybe a consultant. Maybe a digital MarTech agency or a marketing agency. We're seeing a lot of Folks that are running e-com, for example, websites coming in and they're an influencer in the deal. This world where we used to talk about partners, maybe they were transactional. Then we talked about the ecosystem. Now it's basically become a megacosm. You know, there's multiple. If you think about a megacosm, it's large and it's kind of a self-functioning organism. And that's what's happening. These self-functioning organisms are kind of beginning to form in verticals in specific market sets and specific geographies where a group of partners together are able to provide something pretty masterful working with some ISVs and some other vendors and providers to bring what I like to think of as the digital normal to their clients. No, that's great. I appreciate you sharing your feedback. That aligns to what I'm seeing too, by the way. So a couple data points I share with you. So when you look at Ariaco, 92% of all of our revenue historically ever sold, guess where it came from? Channel. You got it. You're right on track, Craig, because 91% of deals have a channel partner in them in the industry. That's right. So we're right there, which uh, makes a ton of sense to me. The other thing I see too is I see a lot of the tech companies now that are really embracing the channel and, and almost going to market with a channel exclusive strategy. Are you seeing that as well? Yes. And I think it's very, very smart. And I applaud what you guys have done at, at Ariaka to bring this to light. I think that the days where we thought a direct team alone could sell our solution are quickly going into the rearview mirror. And the biggest reason for that is there's a lot of choice now. So if I'm a customer and you work for, let's just say Microsoft, because we always you know, we talk about Microsoft, they're one of the biggest in the industry, so it makes it an easy example. So Microsoft is saying, look, we're adding thousands of non-transacting partners every single month. And the reason for that is because if you think about it, if a Microsoft direct rep calls on you and says, Microsoft's the best answer for you, well, they work for Microsoft. But if a partner calls on you who can sell anything they want, they're perceived as agnostic. So when they say, listen, this solution, this Ariaka solution is the best one, which we all we know it is, right? But the partners kind of, I'll go back way in time, the good housekeeping seal. Their kind of seal of approval that says, no, this is the best one. I looked at everything. Let's the customer have that feeling that they made the best choice among all of the plethora of choices out there versus when you deal with a direct rep, they're going to sell you what they sell you from their company. So I'm seeing a lot more of that where the customers are actually even bringing in a partner sometimes and not transacting through them just to make sure that that person helps them pick the right solutions in the RFP process or others. For sure. So what I'm seeing too, obviously the more strategic companies, the, the larger companies, they're being asked to do more with less. 
And so they're bringing in these trusted advisors that really can help shape the direction of the digital transformation. So, you know, you pick up your phone, you see all those applications used daily. I mean, my experience is the majority of those companies are all leveraging a channel partner today. Me too. And, you know, there's so many solutions, right? Like think about just the sheer plethora of solutions in the market. As an IT executive, you can't hope to keep up on that. And so all of these new ISVs that are coming to market, et cetera, they have to go through the channel to even get a seat at that table and talk about that innovation they could bring. So let's talk about that. You bring up an excellent point, right? And that's how how crowded the space is. If you're a channel partner today, you're sitting out there in the market, there's all these SD-WAN providers, there's all these SASE providers coming out to you every single day, and they're telling you how great their solution is, how awesome it is, and how it's life-changing. So if you're a provider, you're like Arioca or in a different part of the industry, how do you stand out in that crowded space? What are some things you can do? I think you need to be a better partner to your partners. You do a great job of that. You and the whole Arioca team do a great job in understanding that. Look, technically, of course, your solution has to be technically correct and have the right features and the right benefits. And most solutions do. Most solutions, at least table stakes, have the basic stuff. But what makes you stand out is what, how good of a partner are you? And many times what these companies think about is how good of a partner are their partners, as opposed to how good of a partner am I as the vendor, as the supplier, whatever you want to call yourself, the provider. How do I make it easy for my partners to sell my solution, get paid or get a discount, depending on how you're going to market on my solution? How do I give benefits that matter to the partners instead of the stale old benefits that I just threw in my program because everybody else had them? And quite frankly, the partners use none of them. They don't care about them. How do I do things to help them stimulate demand? How do I do things to help them get their staff trained? How do I do things that help the partner and I'm a better partner? That's how you stand out. The folks that stand out are the great partners. And that's why you've always stood out. That's why you and I have been friends for a long time. (laughs) Because you do what's good for the channel. In the return, the channel does what's good for you. Exactly. No, I love that answer. Because I think when you look at what matters most, it's that partner experience. It is. Some companies take their eye off that ball, right? They start thinking about what's best for them and how they can drive more profit. How they can drive it. And then they throw a bunch of spiffs at things, thinking it'll overcome the fact that the partner can't even figure out their commission report or their discounting strategy, or that it took six weeks to get an order quoted. And that doesn't do anything other than get their CFO concerned because they keep throwing money at the problem. And so not fixing that partner experience and then not getting your partner program up to date and with the times and what's really happening, those are the two mistakes I see people making. It's the telco way of doing things, right? Let's introduce all these rules, all these mousetraps, yeah. The way that benefit the telco. But not the partner. Not the partner. Whereas we're going to flip that on its head. We have here in Arioca, and I believe it's best for our industry. Remove all that those friction points. Remove all that red tape. Remove all that BS. Agreed. In the end, it's all the BS that doesn't benefit the partner. And really become partner-centric. And if you provide that good experience, I think the results will come. Just by doing the right thing, you're going to be more profitable. I agree. Agree 110%. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about some other things happening in our industry, right? There's a lot of things happening, a lot of consolidation, right? We're seeing a lot of the in the master agent space. We're seeing 
these new super agents emerge. We're seeing a lot of private equity come into our channel. You know, how do you react to those trends and what do you think happens in the future? So the height of the private equity money and valuations was November of 2021. We're already starting to come down the slope a little bit on valuations. Doesn't mean that they're not still, you know, decent evaluations, but the height of it was kind of the end of last year. We're seeing now the multiples come down a little bit. I think that's going to slow the consolidation a little. It won't cease it. Right, but it'll slow it just a little bit to maybe a little more palatable rate. But the consolidation is going to happen. If you look at what happened in IT distribution, you ended up with just a few meaningful IT distributors, you know, TV Cinex, uh, Ingram, and then a few other folks like DNH and Arrow and such. The same is going to happen in what we have traditionally called the master agent and the industry is now calling the technology solution broker, technology shoes and distributor they're going to consolidate down to a few meaningful ones as well. And this gives an opportunity for two things. One, it gives an opportunity for the super agents to go direct. It's what happened in the IT industry. Even though some of those super partners, if you think of them, a CDW, let's use for an example, may in fact buy or an Insight or Optiv, may in fact buy through distribution, they get back-end rebates, they have a relationship direct with the vendor, etc. I think we're going to see the same evolution happen in the telco space, traditional network agent space. You'll see some super agents rise up. They may still use the technology solution broker for transactional purposes, but they will have a direct relationship and do direct marketing with the vendor supplier. And I think that change is already happening. We're seeing groups of super agents start to kind of get together and talk about it. And the reason for that in many ways is because they're a little frustrated with the lack of demand generation that's been coming as a service. And so when we think about that, we think about what's the most important thing to those super agents. It's retention and new customers. They've got retention buttoned up, right? They need some marketing help, especially digitally with new customer acquisition. I think you hit the nail on the head there for sure with that answer. And I agree with you. I mean, you look at the position we're in, we're a smaller provider focused around doing a couple things amazingly well. But it's very hard for us, right, to pay to play with all these different master agents. I think consolidation is good. I agree with you. I think that'll continue. You know, I agree with the points around these super agents. And you know, obviously, we're seeing some of them go direct already. There's been some of that in the news as of late. So I think that'll continue as well. So looking at other trends beyond the super agents, the consolidation, what are some other key trends you're seeing in the market today? So we're seeing entrance of new partners and the effective channel programs are addressing that. So we're seeing entrance of what I'm going to call marketing technology or e-marketing firms. So firms that are doing websites, intent-based marketing, AI-based marketing, etc., AI-based customer service who are having an increasingly large voice at the table with enterprise clients because they're putting in the number one way that you're shopping or contacting with that firm. They're also starting to insist on certain technologies being used for unified communication, for security, for network performance, etc. Because of course, if their website doesn't perform because the network is slow, that's not good for their business. So they've become an increasing voice. In fact, if you look at some of the sales last year and for some of the ISVs, they were a bigger market than the traditional agent bar, MSP, etc. So that's one trend. Second, we're seeing a big shift of the MSPs starting to become CSPs, so cloud solution providers. So everything they're now selling is in the cloud. 
all recurrent revenue. MSPs are starting that march over to an intersection in recurrent revenue with the agents. And I think in the next two or three years, we're going to see a little blurring of the industry lines. The agents who pick up some services, who begin to do service, who begin to do a little more advanced help for their clients other than just sell them, you know, fees and feeds will do well. Those who don't, I think will be supplanted by their IT counterparts who are MSPs and CSPs. So we're seeing it. We're seeing great folks in the agent network start to acquire IT MSPs or VARs, start to add IT services. So the smart ones are making that move. I agree with that as well. I mean, we're seeing some of those similar things here at Ariaka. So we're seeing new partner types like you talk about emerge into the channel. So we're starting to uh, get some new relationships going, which is very, very exciting, especially globally. Do you look at the things we're seeing globally around channel now that it's getting out of the infancy in terms of the traditional telcos agent side? We're starting to see some of that become a little bit more mature. We're seeing more relationships happening throughout Europe on the channel side. I love the comment around the MSPs. And I think there's huge opportunity here. There's opportunity for these MSP partners to create more value, create new revenue streams. Agree. They have to get to the network layer, at least the software-defined network layer. They have to. Everything's so dependent on it now since everything's in the cloud. When they were doing things that were prem-based, it was different. But most of the stuff is hybrid or in the cloud now. So network performance really matters. It does matter. And you look at some new dashboards, some new co-management functions that are coming out on the market. I've kind of used what we're doing, right? We've got this AppAssure portal where MSP partners can do co-management for their customers. So they can log in, right? They can look at traffic real time. They can prioritize it. They can control it. They can optimize it into like 3,500 different SaaS applications. So it gives them the ability to provide a better experience, number one. But number two, create opportunities to monetize that piece of the service. Their services, right? And that's what it's all about, right? Them monetizing their services. Another dollar or two for every user. Another $5 for every user. You know, they just keep marching up the dollars per user. And that's how they make their money. So add more apps, add more services. Yeah. And I think we'll continue to see those next generation services be deployed in these portals that are purpose built for our partners. And so, you know, I'm excited about that. I'm excited what the future entails. So let me switch gears on you. Let me talk about something I know you're very passionate about. So you've been a big influencer around the movement around DEI and creating opportunities for women and others in the channel. You know, talk to me about that, you know, what you're seeing, talk to me about the change that you're seeing the market take and actually start to move towards. And talk to me about your non-for-profit, the tech world's path. Give me a little bit of vision there and share some thoughts around that mission. Listen, we have so much work to do in this area, in the industry. It's just traditionally been a guy's industry. And I've been very lucky and blessed to have all of you guys help me. When I was you know, sitting at the table alone and you kind of all take me under your wing and say, it's okay, it's okay, sit with me, like we're fine. But you know, being alone at the table has let us lose a lot of women. And so about a decade ago, I was at an event and there was a statistic shared that women leave the tech industry at 3x the rate of men. So not only do we have an issue bringing women into the industry, which all the STEM things are about and college opportunities and training, but once we got them, 
only 28% of women who had a technical degree or a technical background or technical job were still in the industry. They left. So it just struck me. And I was sitting with a group of women in the industry and I said, all right, we're going to try to fix this. So we started Tech World Tough. And I also concurrently joined CompTIA's, you know, women, Alliance of Channel Women, the channel, everybody I could find. I said, okay. But what we said in Tech World's Half is we're just going to be a group of people who, when you've had it and you want to leave, we're not going to let you leave the industry. If it's your current boss and there's coping strategies or you need a new job or whatever you need to do, we're going to help because we can't afford to have you leave the industry. Our whole goal is just like keep you in. So we're about 3,000 members strong. Some of the biggest names in the industry are members. Women will post things. In fact, my favorite Tech World Tough story is I had a woman who posted and she said, I'm so tired of this. She was at a big event. I was at the same event. She goes, 17 guys in my company and me are having dinner. I'm so tired of this. And I excused myself from the dinner I was at, which was wrapping up. And I said, where are you? on Facebook Messenger. And she told me the restaurant. And I went in and sat down and said, Hi, can I join you guys for dinner? And of course, you know, the partner was like, is that Janet Shines? You know, like, that's Janet Shines. You know, like, yeah, I'm coming to have dinner. And she said, Oh, my gosh, because I was so close to quitting. And then the conversation just flipped at the table. And even the guys were saying, Yeah, that is uncomfortable. She is sitting here alone. Like, why are we like that? So we're really trying to have those conversations. We're launching a program in 2023 called Dinner Alone. So one guy at the table with seven women. Nice. Men can have the experience of what the conversation feels like. And so we're going to be doing that at a bunch of events. We'll invite you to one. I know you'll be great at it. You won't have a problem because you're really good in that kind of group. But we think it does paint the picture, right, of how uncomfortable it can be. And then finally, and I think, you know, most importantly, I just continue to invest in how do we have the conversation about diversity overall, whether it's male, female, whether it's color, religion, it doesn't matter what it is. Diversity of thought is what brings the industry forward. And that's why I push for diversity. It's not a check the box, you know, get this number of people. It's the better diversity we have in thought, the better the industry does. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. That's amazing. I applaud you for all the work you're doing. And I've got your back. I know you do. And actually, not to embarrass you, but you've gotten my back a few times because, you know, industry events can get a little where people have had too much to drink. And you've come to the rescue to myself and several women where you've kind of intercepted and been like, hey, okay, you know, let's go over here. And believe me, it is talked about and noted. There's a good core of people that truly care. John Delosier is another one. He's always been. Jim Glackens, another one. Right, these guys that you know will actually speak up. So here's the here's the lesson, right? To all the listeners, you don't have to accept this, right? If you're not comfortable, don't accept it. There's a lot of people right. out there that have your back, Janet, myself, and others. Reach out, have a conversation with us. We're here to help. You know, kind of turn things into something positive. So, Janet, you know that I'm very passionate about hockey, right? Me too. I live, breathe, eat, sleep hockey. My kids play high-level hockey. I travel all over North America, you know, on this hockey journey. And I really appreciate that about you. That was one thing that I learned about you very early on is, you know, you've lived the same life. I did. When my son was growing up, he was a AAA hockey goalie. Worst thing in the world to be, by the way, in sports as a parent. Oh, for sure. Is the goalie mom. I was going to say, I mean, hockey parents are crazy to begin with, number one. Yeah. 
goalie mom awful. And then there's the goalie parents, which are on a whole different level. Whole different level. I used to stand like way up in the stands and just stand up there and talk to no one until the game was over. But I always say I really believe hockey raised my son in a way that I'm not sure I could have done alone. The discipline, just the overall politeness and kind of drive to do good and be good. It's different in hockey than it is in other sports. My son played some other sports. I saw it, right? It just isn't the same. I truly think that hockey and then golf, because then he played golf through college, helped to shape him into a better guy, a better person. I think there's a lot people can learn from the wonderful, the best game in the world that is hockey. Best game in the world that is hockey. Best game in the world. Go Avalanche, by the way. Oh, go Devils. Sorry. I know you guys are better than us, much better than us, but you got to stay loyal to your team. And I'm actually working on a keynote too. Um, you know, how business can be better by learning from hockey, what it takes to be successful in hockey. Love that. I love that you said that. I just had this conversation with someone and I said to them, you know, it might be time for you to drop your gloves. And they were like, what? And I'm like, oh, hang on. It's a hockey thing. Hockey thing. Sometimes you got to drop your gloves, right? You just got to get into it and have the tough conversation and not just skate around. So... That's the key, the tough conversation. Is there any memory that stands out from that time frame on that hockey journey? It does. So my son was playing AAA and he was playing for, frankly, a coach who wasn't a very good guy. And they were at a tournament and hit... And by the way, you should never play for a coach that isn't a good guy. Lesson learned. They were at a tournament and the other team only had one goalie and the goalie got sick. And so they were going to forfeit the game. The coach was all happy because that means we win and move on to the next thing. And my son was like, I think that's awful. And he skated over and he knocked on the ice. And I went down and said, what? And he goes, I'm going to offer to play for the other team. Probably going to get me thrown off this team. And he was only 11. And he said, but I'm going to do it anyway. He said, because it's not right. We all traveled here. It was a big travel. It was a big expense to the family. He goes, we all traveled here. He goes, and this coach is just so nasty. And I was like, go ahead. So I see my son, jersey off, skates over to the other thing. I can go for you if you want. Referee goes, he talked to the referee before he banged on the ice to me. The referee said, fine with me. Went over. Coach said, yeah, get on. He ended up playing for that team for another seven years. He played for that coach and played for that team that he joined at that tournament. And what it taught me was, one, my son was a good human. But it also was, I think, a memory of me thinking, you know, he played hockey since he was like six. That gave him the backbone to make that decision. Right to say, you know what? It's not right. There's 16, 17 kids on this other bench. They traveled at great expense to this tournament in Canada, and they're never going to get to play a game. I'm not going to let that happen. And my son is now a very successful leader. He has his own company. He's done exceptionally well. And I think that backbone he got in hockey is what made the difference. And that's the memory to me where I was like, oh, he's going to be like CEO of something. He'll be fine. I ceased worrying about my son after that day. That's awesome. I think there's so much people can learn from that, right? For standing up what they believe in, for sure. And not being afraid to push back, right? When they're uncomfortable and people, they don't agree with you. And understanding that competition is a challenge. It's not the enemy. Exactly. So last question here, Janet. Is there any advice or any channel hack you'd like to share with our listeners? I have two. So sorry, guys. So the first one is there's a definite lack of sales and marketing talent right now in the industry. It's an issue. 
I'm hearing from partners every single day that they can't hire enough salespeople, they can't find or hire enough marketing people. And so the time for the vendors, suppliers, providers, whatever you want to call yourself, to provide augmented demand generation, sales assistance, etc. for the partners is now. You can differentiate yourself. You can outsource it to firms like Shameless Club, JS Group, or whoever you like working with. But you have to help your partners because if you don't, Their funnels are drying up, not because they don't want to sell, but because they don't have enough marketing people to go out there and generate and stimulate demand. So super important to invest in that. So that's hack one. Hack two for the partners. So for the partners listening, the reality is about 70% of leads are now being developed on social media through what's called social selling. If you don't know what social selling is, if you don't know how to pick salespeople who have a good social selling score, good social selling skill set, you need to learn. And it's very, very important. Those partners who are going to succeed are going to have high-performing websites, good search engine optimization, search engine marketing, and salespeople who can do social selling. Those are the ones who are going to succeed and go forward. And so if you're listening and don't know what social selling is about, feel free to reach out to Craig or I. Both of us can tell you what it's all about. I love that. Thanks for those channel hacks. By the way, This has been an awesome hour for me spending time with you. I really appreciate all the feedback on the trends that we're seeing in the channel. Just good stuff there. I love the work you're doing around saving the channel and promoting DEI and helping the women that feel uncomfortable out there feel comfortable. Really helping to kind of get them into a good mind frame. Thank you. Well, we love what you're doing too. So we hear from the partners. So keep it up. Keep pushing for those partners. Uh, Ariaka's hearing a lot of love out in the channel right now. There's a lot of love out there. A lot of good people doing really, really good work. Thanks for all this, the uh, the channel hacks around social selling. I think that's a huge piece of what's important in the channel. I think people can learn from what you're doing. Me too. And I think there's a lot of good resources out there. So there's only one thing left to do, Janet. You know, we got to close this podcast out with a lot of energy. So I'm going to give you a little one, two, three. And then I want you to close it down with a let's go, but I want you to be loud. I want you to be full of energy. Sound good? Done. (laughs) All right, here we go. One, two, three. Let's go and save the channel. Let's go and save the channel. There you go. Janet Shines, amazing person, channel influencer. Awesome work.